and a short time to get there. <laughs> we are eastbound. We're eastbound. Watch old bandit run. Okay. You do. <laughs> All three of them. Okay, rubber ducky, let's get started. <laughs> what? Okay, who has a prayer request or a praise report? You ought to be able to come up with something. Okay. That's right. That's right. That's. Mm -hmm. But you're. That's good. That's good. That's what we do as a body. That's great. That one person hearing the Lord and reaching out and. And bringing, bringing one joint, supplying the other, right? That's good. That's what a healthy body, if you have that, that see, that's a body in unity. And what happens to a body in unity? Let's go even, let's, that, that works too. But the Bible says that on Psalm 133, it says, How good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the oil on the head of Aaron running down his beard, down the robes. There the Lord will command his blessing. See, I want you all to know that scripture. The place of commanded blessing is a body in unity. So why does the enemy want to come in and divide the body of Christ? He negates the blessing of the fullness of Christ operating. Where one joint supplies another. That's just a little, that's a sidebar. Let's keep going. Who else has a praise report? Yes. No pain, all gain. That's right. He might run again this morning. We're, we're singing one of my favorite songs this morning. It's my giddy up song. Y'all know it's called giddy up song. How many of y'all ran when you were a kid, you rode your horse and you were your horse and everything in one, you gallop and you, you know, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> so if y'all want to ride the, you know, giddy up this morning, y'all can. It'll be fine when we sing the giddy up song. <laughs> what? Sorry. I didn't think I'd say anything in your account yet. Yes. Yep. That's right. That's right. That's right. And I don't think that people appreciate, Ray, you are very, your feet are in a very, they, they're not healthy feet, right? No, I have what they call Yeah. Right. But see, even, so sometimes we don't know the, the, the extent of what, what is happening when, you know, for him to run. So, yes. Uh-huh. Great. Praise the Lord. Hey, you know what? We don't have to know what's wrong. We're better off not knowing. I, you know, I pray all the time, Lord, I don't know how you do what you do, but do what you do. Yeah. I saw another hand back here. Yes, ma'am. What is it? All right. Her foot is, is feeling good. Excellent. Well, let's go to the Lord right now in prayer. Father, we thank you for these testimonies of healing, God. We thank you, Father, that you are moving in our midst, Lord God. Let us not be people who can ever be settled with going back to normal, Lord God. Let us not just be natural people, God, when you've called us to be naturally supernatural, Lord. That you've called us, Lord God, to bring the kingdom to earth, Lord God. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, God. Let our very lives be the epicenter of 
of your sovereign will as you reign in our hearts, Lord God, and as we fulfill your will, Lord God, to the nations, Lord God, first to Jerusalem, Lord God, our immediate home, to, to Judea, Lord God, that which is outside our immediate home, and Samaria, the even larger, into the uttermost parts of the earth, Lord God. We thank you for this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, let's go to Revelation 11. This is going to seem like a, not an end time study, but it's sort of going to be. But I'm going to take a little deviation, and we're going to take a topic and then run with it. Revelation 11, the two witnesses, some of my favorite material in Revelation. Probably going to look at this a little differently than we're not going to try. And as you all know, we're not going to try and, and, and figure everything out. You know what I mean? There's so much. We get so bogged down trying to figure out everything. You know, like we've got to know. You know what? Even if you do your best at figuring it out, how wrong are you still going to be? I figured it all out. And you find out you're only 10% right. <laughs> So let's not get too, let's not get too, you know, wrapped up in figuring everything out. Because at best, we're probably still going to be wrong. So here, we'll be surprised to find out how wrong we are. I'll probably be surprised to find out where I'm right. Okay, 11, I know y'all are shocked to hear me say that. 11 and 1. Then a measuring rod like a staff was given to me, John speaking. So a measuring rod like a staff. What does that instantly make you think of? A yardstick. That's what I thought of too. A measuring rod like a staff. You know what I mean? It's a stick. So it's long and it's probably, we have a, you know, a good old-fashioned yardstick. So something of that nature. Given to me saying, get up and measure the temple of God and the altar and count those worshiping in it. So we've got a, an accounting going on, a measuring and accounting, a measuring and accounting. We talked about a few weeks ago, God is going to, we are going to give account. Like it or not, everybody is going to give an account. So do not measure the court outside the temple. Where's judgment going to start? It's a New Testament scripture. Judgment begins in the house of the Lord. So when you think of judgment, it's, it's, that, it's, it's, it's the grading of the test. It's what did you do with what you had. And so God begins to move. In, and, it's, and don't think of judgment. Don't think of judgment as something like um, a sentencing. Right. Think of judgment as an evaluation. Employee evaluation. If I have worked good all year, I'm like, I can't wait to get in there. How many of you people, have, you people, have ever been evaluated? It sounded terrible, didn't it? How many of you have ever been evaluated at a job and you were excited for it? No, most. I, you're not always excited. Sometimes it does feel a little nerve wracking and things. I think it depends on where our confidence is at. It determines whether you get promoted. So evaluation is not, it's for, it's for a benefit, right? So what if we saw that as our evaluation was for a benefit? So when he says judgment starts in the house of God, instead of going, ooh. I mean, there needs to be the sobriety of that for sure. But I think that maybe there should be a more of an expectation that we're going to level up. I mean, wouldn't that be great for the church to level up? So as we look at this, let's, let's keep going. But do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave it out because it has been given to the nations. And they will trample the holy city for 42 months. And we won't, we won't talk about that now. We will get back to it at some point. And I will grant authority. Here it is. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days, that's 42 months, dressed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two menorah that are standing before the Lord of the whole earth. If anyone wishes to harm them, fire comes out of their mouths and consumes their enemies. 
if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this. He must be killed in this way. I mean, it's going to, you're not going to mess when this anointing on these witnesses, you're not messing with them. These two have the power to shut the heavens so that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they wish. When they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the abyss will make war on them and overcome them and will kill them. And their corpses will lie in the open street of the great city that figuratively is called Sodom and Egypt. They're in Jerusalem, but figuratively it's called Sodom and Egypt because both Sodom and Egypt were under God's divine judgment. So we know we're in a place and a time under God's divine judgment. There, there also their Lord was crucified. Some of the people and tribes and tongues and nations will look at their corpses for three and a half days, not allowing them to be placed in a grave, lying in the open streets, in the heat. Let's think about that for a second. Those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them. They will celebrate and send gifts to one another because of the two prophets who tormented those who dwell on the earth. Like Christmas. But after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them and they stood up on their feet and great fear, I guess so, fell on those who were watching them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies watched. There was a resurrection. There was a witness. There's a power. Now, when you hear this, these guys, whoever they are, see, it, we're not supposed to so much be looking for an actual Old Testament character, I don't think. But I think it's just like John the Baptist. See, he came. Jesus said that before, Malachi says that before the Lord comes, that there would be one who would, a voice of one crying in the wilderness. And his declaration would be, prepare ye the way of the Lord. He would be a herald, a proclaimer of that time to say, the Lord is coming. This would be the job of any herald who would go before. He would be the one who gives the news to prepare the city, to prepare the people for the entrance of a great king. They wouldn't just use their messaging to prepare the city for the entrance of a great king. A king doesn't just show up, doesn't wake up one day and say, I think I'll go. Um, let's see, I'll give me about 15 minutes and we'll be ready. No. Whenever Pope John Paul visited Jerusalem, they built a road, a highway to the temple. It's called Pope John Paul Road. Do you think that, how long do you think it took? It's a wide road. Well, you're like, why did they do that and name it? Because Jerusalem is getting a highway built for free. The Vatican's going to pay for it. Yeah, we'll name a road after you because John Paul was going to take his little white chariot thing, you know, and he was going to ride on it and he wasn't going to hit a bump. 
See, they were going to make the crooked paths straight. They were going to take the high places and make them low. And they were going to take the low places and bring them up and make a road that was appropriate or apropos for a man of his distinguished and honor. And everybody knew when he was coming. It's like, what's happening there? They're preparing for John Paul. Pope John Paul is coming. Pope John Paul is coming. Do y'all see that? And so that's just how they do it in the natural. You see, that's called, in the Greek, it's called whenever a king comes to town, the king is coming, the coming, the coming of the Lord is called perusia. A perusia is no insignificant event. It's not insignificant. P oh gosh, P A R O U S I A. Did I get it? You're like, who knows? It's Greek. It's all Greek to me. Yeah. So we have a perusia. So that's a coming. So before the Lord came the first time, an angel showed up to Zechariah to call a herald. There's some preparation going on. Think about how long this took. He took an old woman's womb. Because this is no insignificant feat. He's going to take an old woman's barren womb and an old man's dead body. Because God likes to follow patterns. He doesn't mind taking rocks and turning them into... Life, glory, whatever, honey, see that's abundance, we, you know, water, life, honey, abundance. Jesus, we talked about last week, whenever he got out of the tomb, what did he walk out of? He walked out of a rock to show us that one day whenever all of us rocks, when Jesus said, if they don't praise me, even the stones will raise up and praise me. When, when John, when, was it John? I think it was John, baptized, no, it was Jesus. Who said this? I guess it was Jesus. God is able to raise up children of Abraham from these stones. And he did it. 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 Look at all these stones. I don't know. Maybe some of you may not. It may still be a stone. How many of you got honey in the rock? How, how many of you got water in the stone? How many of you, your stone, your, your place of death, stones don't give birth unless God makes them give birth? I mean, that's the, that's the whole point. We're supposed to get that. But see, we, we've missed the whole message of the Bible trying to make ourselves great. We brought God down to our level trying to get him to lift us up a little bit. See, we're trying to make ourselves great. If you would dispense with making yourself great and just magnify God, you would be elevated in the process. But it would be an elevation that was no credit to you. It would be all credit to Him. You know, I don't know, that thing called all glory, all glory and honor and praise belongs to Him. So here we are. And we're, so we, have, we have the king coming. So when John was born... He, be, he was born to be a herald. He was born for one purpose. Whenever Mary walked into the, into the room with Elizabeth and there were two babies in gestation. One was at six months and one was just a zygote. That's what they're called. <laughs> we got zygote. Yeah, we got, we got, it's just a, now think about that. The God of this universe. <laughs> because it's true. That's, the, that's how I bet. That's how. So now does that make sense whenever it says that, that Philippians 2? He humbled himself. I mean, he, he submitted himself to the very womb of a 13 to 16 year old Virgin? The most barren of wombs is a virgin womb. 
No, bar virgin wombs don't produce children. That's the point. That's the point. This is not from man. This is from God. And so when they, when that, when that, when Jesus in vitro came in the room, in the room with John in vitro, John said, "You know, I, this, this is my, this is this is thus, this is thus saith Andrea. You know what I think, John? Why he left? You know, he, he we didn't hear his voice, did we?" He's filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what I think he said. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the earth. That's what he was made to do. He was a herald. And, and Elizabeth said, whoa, Mary, you just made my baby leap. You know, sometimes, see, that's what happens when you get in revival services and things. You know, there's something inside of you. There's a dream. There's something you're supposed to give birth to. You know what I'm talking about? And you feel your baby leap. You know what I mean? You're like, I got to do something. I got to do something. You don't know what it is, but you feel, you feel your baby leap. You know what I mean? You're like, you're like there's, there's purpose. There's purpose on the inside of me. And you don't even know. You don't even, you hadn't even laid eyes on it yet. You don't even know its name. for You know its name's going to be by prophecy. But you hadn't, you, you hadn't even seen this. And it's a dream. And all of a sudden, it's something, it just kicks. How many of you have been in service and your baby leapt? Ah, oh, come on. You have to. No, you have. See men, see, men don't get to even understand this. But how many, come on, how many of you men have ever heard something knocking on the walls of your life trying to get out from the inside, trying to escape a destiny? That's your baby, your baby left. I tell somebody, that's what we want. We want your baby to leap. Whenever Jesus comes in the room, you know what happens? The, the rock starts prophesying, you know what I mean? The, it's like, oh, man. See, at first, nobody thought Elizabeth was pregnant. But then she got so pregnant, she got embarrassed. That's what it says, because she's old. And so she stayed in seclusion because she was embarrassed of the fact that she had born a child at this age in her life. And so here we have John as a herald, right? And so he's preparing the way. And we know, y'all have all seen the ministry of John. And so, so but, but the, the Jews said, well, we thought Elijah was coming. Well, he said, well, Jesus said, you guys, if you're willing to receive it, he did. John came in the spirit and the power of Elijah. So it wasn't Elijah reincarnated, was it? It was the spirit of Elijah. It had, a, it had an Elijah flair to it. Had an Elijah anointing, if you will. John came baptizing for one reason only: to reveal Christ. Says it in you read the read the Gospels, you'll find it. To reveal Christ, he had a vision of baptizing the Messiah, the Anointed One. Yes. He's carrying that same spirit. Yes. Yes, 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 thank you. So we have here the same anointing, the same specific anointing on John. And John saw, he said, he saw by the Holy Spirit, he saw himself baptizing someone. And when he baptized him, he said, the one I saw, when I saw, I baptized this anointed one, a dove descended on him. So he's like, he's like, yeah, the spirit. So, because the heavens open. See, whenever, when everything was opened on earth, but when, when Jesus was baptized, the Jordan didn't open, the heaven opened. And so we see 
And so John is baptizing. How many people do y'all think, there's statistics on this. How many people do y'all think that in that baptism, see baptism, there was baptism, but there was never a baptism move. A move of baptism. Like all of a sudden you're like, I got to get baptized. I got to get baptized. How many people do you think were baptized? No, by the John or his disciples. How many people do you think were baptized? <laughs> Two million. That's a move. To, I mean, now think, this was not, this was not some little, some little dainty little move of God where people are like, oh, I heard there's something going on across town. Maybe I'll go. Oh, my favorite show's on. <laughs> this was a compulsion, like animals to an ark. Like something inside is drawing me. And all these people were coming to John and his disciples to be baptized. And they were, he was dunking them. And he was dunking, nope. And he was dunking them, nope. And he was dunking them, nope. And he, oh, come on, I'm a herald. He was dunking them, nope. And he was dunking them, nope. And one day he was like, oh, oh. Oh, I felt that same thing I felt when I was in the womb of my mama. He's like, I can't, be, I can't baptize you. He went, yeah, you can. Suffer it to be so. John, the greatest of all prophets, because he held the very, the very apex of all prophecy in his hands. He saw the fulfillment at the moment in time. And when he laid his hands on Jesus, the Son of God, he did what he was supposed to do. He dunked him in that river Jordan. And when he came up, the heavens opened. And a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And that dove landed on him. And it wasn't a momentary anointing it says it rested I don't know how many of you people are so gentle that a dove would rest on your shoulder see before the Holy Spirit had come upon someone and they did something and he never of course not he rested on him And John knew through baptism, through a move, through a move of God, a baptism move of God that the Pharisees were not liking. They were coming to test it. They were coming to criticize it. They were coming to say how it wasn't of God. But how many know that you can be in the church knowing the word of God backwards and forward, cut your teeth on a songbook and sleep under a pew and still miss what God's doing? Because it doesn't fit within your little teeny. I mean, you know everything. You know everything a pea brain could know. Congratulations. I mean, he was, William was apologizing for being, you know what I mean? He's like, he thought he was offending y'all. He's like, they're like, we're tougher than that. She causes morons all the time. <laughs> it's in love. It's in love. You do. Y'all are tough. I like tough people. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so here we are. Now, I hadn't even got to the message yet. <clears throat> Malachi. I would go to all these scriptures, but I don't have time to turn. Y'all don't have to look them up. Before the great and terrible, great and terrible day of the Lord, I will send my prophet John, or Elijah, sorry, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and he will turn 
the, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make a people prepared for the Lord. See, John came in the great day of the Lord, but it wasn't the terrible day of the Lord. Wasn't terrible, was it? Terrible on the side of that Christ died for the sins and the, the death, the, the passion of the cross. But Jesus, whenever he said, after he came out of the wilderness and he went into the temple and he opened the scroll, I mean, this, I wanted to be in that temple that day. He stood behind that day. I went to the very place where he did it in his hometown. And he stood behind that, they call it the bema, the lectern. And he walked up there and he opened the scroll of Isaiah. And he went to Isaiah, help me Mike, he's better at addresses than I am. 61, who said it? 61, good. Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. They heard this verse before and all of them were going... I love this. This is a great verse. It feels really good when he says it. <laughs> Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach recovery of the sight to the blind, to open the deaf ears, to set the cat. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm getting in Andrea mode here now. To set at liberty them that are bruised and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he stopped there. He split the verse. We didn't have the verses at the time, but he split the He stopped. Cold turkey. Did he just get tired of reading? His voice get dry? Need a drink of water? He's the word of God speaking the word of God. He didn't go, he didn't dare go a bit further. So he stopped right there, and then he did the unthinkable. He said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. He stood there, and he said, I am the anointed one. And they all said, oh, well, we've been waiting for you. They were like, who does he think he is? He's the carpenter's son. We know his mama and his daddy and his brothers and his sisters. But he stopped. He didn't say the second part of the verse. What is the second part of the verse? To declare the vengeance of our God. That is the great and terrible day of the Lord. We live in this place called the day of the Lord's favor. And we come here today and we are witnesses, heralds of the day of the Lord's favor. There is coming an anointing in these last days. It is an anointing of the power of Elijah. But it won't be what the world is thinking it is, just like John wasn't what the world thought he ought to be. The man came out of the desert eating locusts and wild honey. He was clothed in a leather girdle. His hair was wild. He was living in a group of people called the Essenes. They were desert wanderers. They lived out there away from all comforts. Of, they were, he was not socially acceptable. He was a wild man. How many of you know that God is not as interested in making it comfortable for you? I think the worst thing, the most heretical thing that ever happened to the church, and I knew it when it was happening, 
we were pastoring in Hot Springs, Arkansas, and it was 2003, and I heard the term for the very first time, seeker-sensitive church. And I knew that it would be a problem for the church. As the church dummied down the gospel, watered it down so that sinners would be comfortable in the house of God. We welcome every person to the house of God, but sin must be combated. That's the whole point. You're not supposed to be comfortable in your sin. In order for you to hate your sin, you've got to see your sin the way God sees your sin. Do you think John was comfortable? Oh, you just do you, boo. (laughs) Ripping out pages then. So as we look at this, we see here these two witnesses. What do they do? When they speak... Fire comes out of their mouth. Do I think that that's real, literal, or not? I don't know. It's probably figurative. I don't know. She says, that's good. I'm okay. I'm okay. Does that sound seeker sensitive? (laughs) Sorry, Tommy. (laughs) You know? No, you're going to, you're like, hey, I'm good. Yeah, that's see. Whatever, whatever. We can, you know what I mean? We'll see when we get there, won't we? When it, when, that's all well and good. But, but how many of you, I know that whenever we went moved to Bowie, Texas, whenever we, when Mike got saved, right? We had a pastor who stood up. And what did he breathe every Sunday? Fire. 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 So much so that when he walked by, you felt it was fire. He breathed fire when he preached. Sadly, that wasn't enough to keep him saved. No. See, your gifting and anointing is one thing. Your character is another. Your character will never carry your anointing. Your anointing will never go further than your character. Your anointing will never go further than your character. Your anointing, your gifting, your calling is always going to be subjected to your character and your character has to be subjected to the fire of God. If it's not, you're always going to have a jumping off spot because there will be a place where you will fold up and I'll give you the welders in the room will get this. You'll roll up your leads. That means job done. My dad always said that. I ain't waiting here all day. I hate this job. He would say, I'm rolling up my leads. He'd call my mom. <clears throat> He'd be off on the other side of the world. He'd say, she said, what are you doing? He said, I'm rolling leads. That meant I'm coming home. So that's where it'll always be. It'll always be for you. You'll always be quitting if there's a place you can be offended. I guarantee you, that's the place you're heading. If you can be offended, you will be. And I'm willing to say in this house, I'm talking to old enough people, you already have been several times. Many of you have quit and started over and quit and started over, and quit and started over. And the offense is a little bit different every time, but it seems to get a little harder every single time because you have developed a system that you have become recalcitrant. You've become stodgy and set up in your own will, and you've begun to believe that your opinion is greater than the will of God for your life. And so you're unwilling to be offended 
You're unwilling to be crushed. You're unwilling to come under the subjection of the Holy Spirit and actually find your place in that beautiful place called surrender. But instead, you just get mad one more time. And His mercy brings you back. And then what do you do? You start the journey again and you get to the place and you start saying things. The same thing keeps happening to me everywhere I go. Let me clue you in. It's not everywhere you go. It's you because you're the common denominator. Everywhere you go, you're there. Is this not true? So here's where we have to be. So John comes, and now see, before the great and terrible day of the Lord, there's a spirit that's going to be poured out on the church. It may offend some people. If you're in love with yourself, your opinions, your preference, it's going to, I promise you, it's not going to look like you think it ought to look. Now, I'm not saying that you need to swallow everything that comes down the pipe. You need to test it and approve it to test the spirits and see if they are of God. But at the same time, you need to test the spirits that are in you. And quit always assuming you're right and everyone else is wrong. How about just this one time, just this one little time, you assume you're wrong and they're right. And reconcile the difference from that angle instead of from the other. That'll change everything about how you're doing it. You'll quit being a quitter and you'll stop being a stopper. Yeah, they couldn't. They could not imagine a scenario where they were wrong. They were religious, but you know what? Many people are religious. They just, they just frame it different. You can be religiously in love with your own opinions and not even go to church regularly. Church is full of hypocrites. What are you, pray tell? Are you pot or kettle today? I don't go to church because it's full of hypocrites. So you're telling me you know how things ought to be done, but you're not doing it? What is it? What, what, what? Or the person who says, don't judge me. Do you realize in order for you to tell me that, you've already judged me? You can't even utter the words without judging. It says, it says that we are to judge another's fruits. Yeah, a fruit inspector. So as we look here, I'm not crying my eyes are watering. I could be crying. So here, here we look at these two witnesses. What comes out of their mouth? Fire. And what else? What else do they do? Who, who called down fire? Just wondering. So you're getting who this is we've got an Elijah anointing going on, don't we? We got a person who can call down fire. Fire comes out of their mouth. See, that's another way of saying calling down fire. If, if Elijah says, if Elijah stands there and he says, God, send your fire. Fire just came out of his mouth. So now, who's the other one? What does the other one do? What does the other one do? It's right in the text. What do they do? What kind of power over water? Oh, who did that? I've seen that guy before. And also to announce plagues on the earth. Who did that? I'm wondering. Oh, yeah, that's Moses. So we, what we got here is we've got a prophetic anointing and we've got a deliverance anointing. We've got, we've got an anointing that is coming on the world to judge the corruption in this world. And it's coming from the house, it's coming from the temple. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? And you know what? That's taught, Paul uses that twice in Corinthians. He talks one about the individual, but he talks another about the collective body joined together. That's why it says that do not forsake the assembling of yourself together with those who are in like faith. I'm quoting Hebrews now. And even more as you see that day, capital D, appearing. 
because we need a actually fully formed body of people who are no longer little whiny babies who are stuck on milk and who have actually moved on to meat, who will supply one another and actually you function in your gift and 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 you function and so on and so forth because your gift is not her gift and it supplies his gift and it supplies his gift and it edifies his gift and attaches to that gift. We can't get people attached to one another because one person's too mad to actually display their gift because they don't like the preacher. And so they sit at home and listen to TV preachers. Tell me, how are you connected to that body and supplying your gift? And whenever someone in your family dies, call that TV preacher and have them bury you. Ask them to visit you in the hospital. Good luck with that. You're like, I don't need anything from anybody. If that's your voice right now, I don't need anything. I'm not asking anything for anybody. That pride will kill you. You do. Here's the fact. If God says you need something, you need it whether you know it or not. So what we have here is that there is an anointing coming in these last days. And Jesus, whenever he finished the work of redemption on the cross, he met with the disciples in the upper room. And he, in John 20, and he did something spectacular. He breathed on them. Now we know, we've seen that before, haven't we? Where did we see that before? In the garden. So what we know is that we're bringing up a new man, right? We're bringing up a new man where God breathed in Adam's nostrils. We see the same breathing going on. We're we're, we're so supposed to go, I think this is probably a new spirit man. And then he says something spectacular. What does he say after that? Anybody know? Think you got whose sins you remit, they are remitted. And whose sins you retain, they are retained. What? So now I know that there's some different variations. I'm gonna give you Andrea's. We we can fight, we can arm wrestle about later. See, we've already got the Lord's Prayer where He tells us to forgive our enemies, forgive those who forgive you, you know, you can't, you know, that trespass against you. We already have that teaching, right? Then He pops in to the upper room and breathes on Him and He gives them this whoever sins you forgive, they're forgiven, and whoever sins you retain, they're retained. That's not the same thing as forgiving sins, is it? Like, is that the same thing as the Lord's Prayer? It's completely different, isn't it? That sounds like He's given me a commission to do something. Either forgive sins, or not forgive sins. You're like, wait a minute, I don't forgive sins. I'm not the, I'm not God. No, y'all are all missing it still. This is a commission. This is not about you forgiving trespasses against you. This is a commissioning of the spirit man and what you're going to be called to do. If he's already told, he's going to tell us in Matthew 28, go you therefore into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. See, if I don't proclaim the gospel, I have the gospel. You may be wrought with sin, riddled. And if I go, I didn't want to offend them. You know what I just did? I retained your sin. By refusing, you don't chew on this. By refusing to speak and to proclaim the preach, I retain every sin in the room. It's the most powerful thing, and if you, got a, if you understood the scripture, you'd do something when you walked in a room. You'd feel the onus of proclamation. You're not forgiving sins. How do you get sins forgiven? How do you, how do, you do it? How do you? How do you get another person to forgive sins? You tell them about the gospel. 
You tell them about how they don't have to live in their sin and their sick condition. You have to tell them. You bring them to the conflict of the cross. And you say there's a penalty for sin, but Jesus died to forgive you. And in so doing, you remit sin. You haven't made their choice for them. That's still their choice. But you have delivered. See, remittance, it's a counting term. You have just made the deposit in the room for every, all they have to do is receive it. Whoever sins you remit, they are remitted. And whoever sins you retain. Y'all may disagree, but I will never stop preaching it this way. Because my way gets the gospel preached and your way gets to say, go and preach the gospel to every creature and if necessary, use words. Lord, find them. So what we see here, does that make sense to y'all? That's it. They didn't receive the opportunity. See, the talent is on the person receiving, right? But they were given it, right? But what did he do with the talent? The opportunity. He dug a hole and he buried it. So when the Lord came back to give an account for what was remitted... Because he had the remittance information. He just didn't make a draw on that account that was already paid. He digs it up and said, oh yeah, I did hear about you, Lord. I did hear about you. Here's yours. It's a little dirty, but it's all right. We good? I know you're a hard man. Reaping where you do not sow and gathering where you do not. I know. I know what kind of a lousy, theft, thieving, no good God you are. Huh? No, no, no. Here it is. I mean, now, now I see. Now I see. Ha, 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 ha. He said, depart from me, you wicked, lazy servant. Where there will be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. See, if you don't, you're not careful there. If you make that about somebody who lost their salvation, what you do is you have now run it back into the doctrine of soteriology, and now you've got not a doctrine that actually saves people, but a doctrine that you have to work in order to be saved. You got to keep it in its context. This is about judgment. If you don't, you'll wind up there every time. You'll wind up there every single time. And that for me is always when I'm trying to discover what is this hermeneutic on this. I take, I take hierarchical doctrine like soteriology or the doctrine of salvation, of a non-works salvation, and I put it in. And if my hermeneutic or my exegetical understanding of that scripture run sideways with soteriology with what I know to be true about the gospel received by faith and the absolute understanding of it's by faith and faith and grace alone then I have to look at my hermeneutic and go you ain't right and I don't know if y'all understand how many years I've done that years you know how, you know how comfortable it is not at all. Causes me walking around my house going. That's how I spend my mornings. With Mike and Laney there, I don't do it because they would think I was crazy. So I just do it in my bathroom. Because my bathroom connects to my bedroom, to my office. And I just walk through there going. That's what I do. Because show me, I don't understand, 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 I don't understand. And then one day I'll be in there just typing in checks. And the Lord will go, and I'll start writing on a piece of paper. So whoever sins you retain, they retain. Whoever sins you remit, they remit. 
when you refuse to preach the gospel, you retain sins. When you refuse to not tell someone you know doesn't know. Now, they may have already known. You know how it is with your family, right? Of course, it's got because they got to receive. See, this doesn't fix it. I can't just say your sins are forgiven and they're gone. It's not Catholic. I'm not a Catholic priest. They got to receive and, re- and repent. There's a reception on their part as well. And so Jesus, but he didn't stop there. He said, I know this is going to be profoundly difficult for you. So before you even start on this journey, I want you to go to the upper room. Acts 1.8. And you will be my witnesses. Hear ye, hear ye. The proclamation of the king. Jesus Christ is coming again. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. He has died on your cross, on the cross for your sins, so that you don't have to perish. One day, you will give an account for this message. It's in my herald. The king is coming. And now I'm the road crew. And when I finish, if he didn't come on my watch, Tim, I'm going to hand the shovel and the the orange vest and the pylons off to my children and my spiritual children. And I hope that you'll be willing to pick up a pickaxe to pair the way and to be the virgin, the maids who light the path to the wedding. For blessed is everyone who's invited to the wedding. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And the son says, come. That's all you're doing. But you're going to need some power for this. And that power is the power of the Holy Spirit. And we will talk about, we talked about Perugia today, his coming. We're going to have to talk about Parousia next week. Which is the bold speech needed to proclaim the message. You asked me one time, Tim, you said, how do I preach bipolar? Right? That's what he called it. I loved it. Like he said, Mike, he said, I want to preach bipolar like Mike does. That's, I loved it. You're like, he's here one minute, next minute he's here, and he's here, and he's here. Right. See, that's not, that's not something that's crafted in the heart of a man. That's something that's deposited by the Holy Spirit. It's what every time the Holy Spirit, this will be y'all's homework this week. See, every time the Holy Spirit falls, what happens in the next, see if you don't find the word. And they spoke boldly. Read Acts 4 and come back next week prepared. Find the word in the Greek, parousia. I'm just going to read this as we close. 31, 4. Each of them was filled with the Holy Spirit and they proclaimed the word of God with unrestrained boldness. That's parousia. When did they proclaim the word with unrestrained boldness? After they were filled. You try, y'all are trying to many times recl- proclaim the word of God with unrestrained boldness and you hadn't been filled. One is a natural byproduct of the other. What is unrestrained boldness? What is this word, this Greek word parousia? Let me read it to you. The, P-A-R-R-E-S-I-A. The Greek word parousia, this involves more than confidence. It is free-flowing, unrestrained boldness. It also means freedom of speech. Parousia carries nuances that are not easily brought over into English. The person who speaks with parousia will say everything that is on their mind with no restraint. Praise God. Flowing out of his heart with confidence. Now, this is not giving you the license. See, you better have the Holy Spirit before the parousia or it's just going to be flowing out of your flesh. 
It involves being frank and honest, hiding nothing and speaking directly to the heart, from the heart to the heart. Most often it is a word used for public speaking. It refers to speech that is not tailored to make everyone happy, but to speak the truth in spite of what it may cost. It is the courage to speak truth into the ears of others. It is reserved only. It is reserved only for the highest rank of Greek citizens. Not people of other lands nor of slaves. Who gives you the right to speak this way? Do you know who I am? See, you try to do that before the Holy Spirit, it just comes across as arrogant. The right to speak freely is an essential aspect of Athenian democracy, although it's sometimes, so we go on, that's the, that's the article on Parisia. That 